Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear Steve Weichel, Head of Industry and Alumni Relations, MIT Center for Real Estate, discuss how new tech-based startups are disrupting traditional players and processes in commercial and corporate real estate. Welcome, Steve. First, tell us a little bit about the MIT Center for Real Estate. What's it all about? Well, Tim, it's good to see you again, and I'm delighted to be here, and uh, always enjoy speaking with you and enjoy our longtime relationship with Cornet. The Center for Real Estate has been around since the mid-'80s. It was founded by some Boston luminaries in the real estate business to elevate the professional level of, of, the, of the real estate business, both on the educational side and on the research side. So we're, we award a master's degree in real estate development and have 33 graduating classes, and the 34th just arrived. And we also do a, a pretty significant amount of research for, for the industry, uh, for the commercial real estate industry. Fantastic. I understand you're seeing tremendous growth in new tech-based startups in both commercial and corporate real estate with a lot of venture capital flowing in. What are some of the drivers behind that growth? This is one of the areas that we've been following over the last 48 months or so. And, and you're right, the, 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 first of all, the explosion of the number of tech startups focused on real estate tech or also sometimes referred to as Cretech, CRE tech, or prop tech if you're in the UK, for those of you listening in the UK. And, and these startups are all about disrupting the traditional ways that the industry has, has operated. And there are a bunch of things going on right now uh, from a technology standpoint. Uh, faster, cheaper, smarter technology, but also funding that's coming from venture capital land, which which there wasn't a lot of it in the early days. In in 09 and 10, it was less, somewhere around $100 million. This year, according to CB Insights, it potential has the potential to hit $3 billion, which is a large number for real estate tech. Maybe not a large number for tech in general, but it's definitely a large number for real, real estate tech, and that's, mm -hmm. that's driving the creation of new startups solving problems in the industry. Wow, huge growth. Okay. So you mentioned some of these factors, but there's got to be some real value being generated by these new companies. Is it, is it lower cost? Uh, reduced cycle time, better decision. What, what's behind this? Uh, I would say I would say all of the above and more. So so there are a, we actually have a database of over 1,800 startups at this point. It started with a handful and it has grown exponentially. So we're trying to track and understand these companies, who they are, the problems that they're solving, who the founders were, where they're located, where they're getting their funding, to better understand this startup ecosystem in the real estate tech space. There are many different categories, and we, we've talked about this, but there are a number of different areas. Uh, we try to group this database to, to sort of understand what's going on uh, in, different, in different groups. So there, there are a group of startups that are just doing, doing data visualization, and, and I sometimes uh, describe this as Esri on steroids. We've all worked with Esri to help understand what markets look like, to help visualize markets and those, the immense amount of data that's out there. These are the new version of that that's on your device, on your handheld device. It's all real time, uh, visualized in 3D to understand your market. So that could be demographics, it could be crime statistics. You could look at a building and get the capital stack on that building. You could get the occupier uh, uh, plan, the occupier stack on that building. You can find out if they violated building codes. 
this is these are just examples of the kinds of things that are available on an app on your handheld device, generally a phone at this point. So, um, but they do have some common threads. And to your point, they tend to be increasing velocity. They're, they're eliminating friction in the old processes. So they're, they're eliminating friction, which allows increased velocity. There's much greater transparency. There's much more data, but the data is actually being kind of unlocked and utilized. So, so uh, yes, they are lowering costs. They're redu reducing the cycle time, allowing us to make uh, better decisions. Fantastic and fascinating at the same time. So let's think about some of the major categories of these newcomers, these companies who are stepping in and changing the game, disrupting traditional players. Um, one of the categories that comes to mind for me, uh, Steve, would be site selection or location selection. Who are, who are the disruptors and who's being disrupted? That's a great question. I, I, it is possible to look at this large set of startups and, and determine which ones are evolutionary and which ones are revolutionary. And so we could say that the dis I'd like to say they're all disruptive in one way or another, but the real disruptors are the ones that are what we might call revolutionary. And so there are lots of different versions, but in the, in the site location or the kind of the space listing category, there are, uh, we know that there are legacy providers. There's, there's uh, everybody works with CoStar. We know that CoStar has been around a long time. They have immense amount of data. They have lots and lots of people uh, analyzing the markets, doing a good job of it. Uh, they themselves are innovating internally. They're also unlocking their own data, but they're starting to unlock other data sources. So that we might consider the legacy, uh, the, the legacy provider. There are a number of companies that are trying to do their job better, faster, cheaper. So uh, Real Massive has gotten some traction in, in, uh, in, in down in the south, uh, southwest. Um, uh, 42 floors, the squared foot, some startups in New York City, all uh, were early on trying to understand this, this idea of listings. And I wouldn't say they're direct competitors to CoStar. I would say maybe they're, they're uh, direct competitors to LoopNet, possibly, uh, trying to do a better job of listing. Because we know on the commercial side, there's really no commercial MLS. And that data, that data exists in different silos. Um, and so, so I think now that the technology exists and it's cheaper, we'll also see some of the established real estate companies unlocking their own data. So would we potentially see some of the broker organizations or some of the advisory firms going about their listings in a different way uh, now that that data is available uh, uh, and can be manipulated in ways that we didn't used to be able to do it before? Mm -hmm. okay. I, I also might add, we shouldn't underestimate the power of a non-real estate data capturing a platform showing up in this. So just keep an keep eye. Keep your on, eyes open. Yes. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> keep your eye on Google. Keep your eye on Uber. Think, think of Uber as an example. Think of the locational data that they have, the data on where, there's, where activity takes place in cities and suburbs, and how would that uh, how would that apply to real estate? So I think we may, we may see we may see some very strong uh, uh, different apps and different uh, different uses of data from non real estate data companies. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Okay. 
What about analyzing deals? That's important to real estate professionals. Uh, is technology transforming that too, uh, deal analysis? Uh, yes, there's a whole category of, of tools out there that are that are helping us to better understand deals. There's uh, there's certainly help on deal flow. If you're a leasing broker, you probably worked with VTS or Hightower. Recently merged, we're at an interesting point in the startup life cycle, uh, in the life of startups. We're seeing some mergers, we're seeing some acquisitions, we're seeing some companies not get their next round of funding, so they either are acquired or they close. But I get emails and phone calls almost every day of the week from some uh, about some new idea, new startup. Um, so on the deal flow side, uh, we've got VTS and Hightower, the, some of the older, more senior, or, or um, uh, some of the early startups in the in the category. Uh, but then um, company like Remeter and Megalytics, they uh, they model lease risk for property owners in a way that's very different from a, a Dun and Bradstreet report, a bank statement, and a criminal background check. So uh, they're, they take a tremendous, they, they have lots of data sources that they help to understand the true lease risk on a potential, uh, potential tenant. Um, but they also add then in the data into the market so you understand the context. So not only do I want to know how stable that sushi joint is going to be, I want to understand, well, what does it mean if we add, what does the risk profile look like when you add another sushi joint to the neighborhood? Are there a lot of other sushi restaurants? Are there none? Is there no demand for sushi? That all impacts my risk profile. So um, that's on the leasing side. Uh, there's another company called DealPath, which is very interesting on the capital side for the acquisitions, dispositions folks. Sort of like a VTS or a Hightower, helping to manage the deal flow and the immense amounts of information and, and what you have to keep track of when you have a lot of deals in a portfolio constantly turning over. So uh, those are some uh, examples of, of the ones um, that, that help us to uh, and there are a bunch of other ones, but help us to understand the deal better. Cool. Okay. What about managing real estate processes and, and managing the vast amount of data that we have access to today? How is that being disrupted? You've addressed this a little bit already, but anything further on that point? Yeah, the, 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 the whole the idea of data, so we were all very excited. And, you know, at MIT, we're, we're, we take deep dives into data in, in all areas of industry. And we were very excited to this conversation about big data and deep data. Well, the challenge is now we've got plenty of data. Uh, I, I know there's some, some quotes about the terabytes of data that get generated every second or every minute or every day. And the issue is not so much quantity, but it's quality. Uh, the quality of the data, and then what to, what to do with the data. So this is where we're, I think in the future we're going to start seeing, we already have artificial intelligence. So we know that anybody who's gone to Amazon has experienced artificial intelligence. Those are algorithms that are written in a certain way that are responsive to how I use the site. We've moved from artificial intelligence to this second category, this second iteration called machine learning or deep learning, which is the algorithms adjust when they learn about us. They don't need a coder to go in and code based upon my profile. Now they're actually responsive. So what I've noticed is Siri gets smarter the more I use it. Right. <laughs> I've noticed that Waze gets smarter the more I use it. So we're already experiencing both artificial intelligence and machine learning and this deep, deep uh, learning and, and deep intelligence that's going on. So what does that mean for real estate? Well, it means we have all of these, this tremendous amount of data that now we have 
there will be tools that will better be able to track patterns, better able to sort, better able to understand what the data means, because that's that we're at a crossroads on having arguably too much data, and in some cases not the right kind of data. Exactly, okay. We hear a lot about the sharing economy today, and in real estate we've all heard about the skyrocketing growth in companies such as WeWork. What, what's happening in that area? Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this particular area of the business. I, it, Professor Dennis Frenchman at MIT refers to real estate fracking. So imagine what that is. We know that fracking is you pump, uh, you pump water and sand into the ground and it goes into the shale usually and it breaks up and releases the, what was left in the ground that we didn't used to be able to get to. So now apply that to real estate. We have an asset, not so much the structure of the asset, but what if we could break apart how that asset is used and reconfigure it in ways that are higher value? And, and a great example of this, WeWork on office and Airbnb on places to sleep. These are spaces that if, if we think of WeWork, master lease, breaks it into smaller pieces, allows the users to take it on a licensed basis at, at 2X or a 3X or a 4X or sometimes even a 5X of what their lease rate is. Same thing with Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So they're, 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 this is going on in many different areas, not just co-working. Co-working is a clear example. And there are many now, many different versions of co-working. It's not just, we, we, uh, we, it's not just office. There's, uh, there's a company called Flexi that's doing it for pallet space. There's a company called Clutter that's helping to optimize, um, uh, optimize self-storage space. These are companies that are, Liquid Space does it with meeting rooms. Pivot Desk, until it got acquired, was doing it with empty desks. You have a, a company does a downsizing, they've got half a floor that's filled with empty cubicles. Right. Can, I, can, I, can I book those out by the hour? And the answer is yes, with a company like Pivot Desk, and there's some other examples that are doing it that way. So this is a way to take the asset and take all the, all the kind of unutilized time and reconfigure it and monetize it. And so that's, that's why I think this fracking conversation is interesting. And will this lead to, potentially this will support this idea of real estate as a service. It's possible because most of these are on a kind of a license basis. When you look at WeWork, yes, there's, when you look at co-working, yes, there's a master lease. But the users are really there on a license model. It's like a hotel model. Exactly. And so what does that mean for our industry an industry that's based on 10-year leases with two five-year renewals, usually. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to underwriting the asset? What does that mean to owning the asset? What does that mean to trading the asset? So at MIT, we're taking a look at, we're taking a deeper dive into what all of this really means. Fantastic, time of great change. Yes. Steve, I see we're almost out of time, but I do have one final question. You mentioned machine learning and artificial intelligence already. Anything else on the horizon? as you talk with these tech startups and you do your research, what holds potential to really transform commercial and corporate real estate? Well, certainly the artificial intelligence and the machine learning is directly related to tech startups and the, and the retech category. I would also keep an eye on the, the other things that we look at at the center, which are, which are, which are peripheral to, to these tech startups, are the other startups that are working on construction tech and design tech and the other techs that are related to the built environment. So stepping out of just real estate tech, the center is taking a look at what we might call the built environment tech. And so that brings in 
robotics. What happens, we, we're, we're very early stages on robotics. We're very early stages on autonomous mobility broadly. It's not just about driverless cars. It's about driverless everything. So what does it mean when, um, when all of the transit, I mean, we, we have history with transit, non-driverless transit, but what happens when trucking, what happens when ports, all of the operations in ports, what happens when warehouses go autonomous? And uh, Professor Andrea Shigu really talks about autonomous real estate. What does fully autonomous real estate mean? And in fact, Tyler, uh, Skylar Tibbetts at MIT is looking at the structure. What happens when buildings build themselves and then they operate themselves and they manage themselves? And I, this sounds like science fiction, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but given how rapidly technology gets adopted and the impacts of Moore's law and things like that on the, just the nuts and bolts of the technology, I don't think we're so far away from seeing some of these kind of jaw-dropping uh, changes to the real estate business. Mm -hmm. Well, in your role, uh, Steve, at the MIT Center for Real Estate, you're in a perfect position to come in contact with these companies and really be on the, the cutting edge of what's happening. So it's great to be talking with you today for this edition of What's New, our new podcast series. And uh, thank you very much for being with us. And thank you for having me. Pleasure is ours. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.